You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Win Win Women in Innovation podcast. Wow, I don't even know where to start with discussing today's episode, which features Talia Fisher, who is the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Lead at Fjord Design, a very prominent innovation and design consultancy that is owned by Accenture Interactive. This episode is so unique because we really talk about hiring practices and what it means to recruit for innovation and what a culture of innovation means. And I mean, Talia really goes there and I think she is unafraid to speak her mind and she even says it, if things are uncomfortable, the question is for who and of course why. And if we are keeping things comfortable only, are we being implicit in fostering something that can be detrimental to others and, of course, something that can stifle innovation? Talia's background is all in project management, and it's really unique to see her bring that lens to her work now. We talk about it too, but she mentions that she actually asked for this role and evolved into it herself which is also really impressive and shows her dedication to solving problems and acting on things as she sees them go wrong. I loved having her on and I think it's such an honor for me to be able to bring women with such different and unique approaches to thinking through both innovation and the role of gender and race and intersectionality into our work. We always want to keep the conversation going, so feel free to reach out and get in touch with us, but also consider joining our online community hub, which is our free membership for everyone who wants to get involved with women in innovation. And so with that, uh, let's get into the episode with Talia. Hi, Talia. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Awesome. Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. We have so much to talk about today. We're going to talk about all things DEI as well as innovation. But before we dive into it, I'd like to take it back to your project management and operations and marketing routes. You've done a lot in a short amount of time, so I'm excited to talk about all of that. So just to, to quickly kick us off, what drew you to marketing and media as an industry initially? Well, I think I, it kind of fell in my lap. Um, I was an eager beaver, young person, recently graduated out of college looking for that job, right? Like nobody knows what, what they're going to do for the rest of their life in college. Totally. And we were going through the motions of really figuring out what it is we want to do. And I was um, interviewing at an ad company in North Carolina based on a family family friend. And they were like, you are not going to do this executive assistant role. You'll get bored way too fast and then you'll leave, which is not helpful. Um, so they're like, why don't we put you in this project management position just to try mm. it quickly fell in love two way street. We fell in love with each other. <laughs> and then I was in advertising um, and marketing for about 13 or 14 years. And it brought me to um, from North Carolina to California to work. And honestly, um, it was the 
best education I could get as far as learning to find my voice, learning how various industry conversations go, what to expect, um, but also what not to expect. And that was both were equally hard to kind of digest, but a lot of it started to come about because of health reasons. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, what is, you know, I'm working, working myself to the bone here and I'm tired, exhausted all the time. And that leads to poor habits and it's just a vicious cycle. And then upward growth and mobility seems to be really hard. And why is that? Yeah, no, it's it's a it's all the right questions that you are asking yourself, and totally, I think that the ad agency is notorious for having that lack of growth, and that's why people uh, jump around so much. So, you know, I think we all know that innovation is pretty much a black box, and the job descriptions around it don't say much, and and people have a very tough time defining innovation. I can tell you that every single one of my guests pretty much defines innovation differently, uh, which I think is a conversation in itself. So, how did you get into fuel? and Accenture Interactive, and, and were you previously exposed to innovation as an industry? I was probably exposed to what somebody thought innovation was. <laughs> um, certainly not my idea of what innovation was, so I probably didn't connect with it. Mm. Um, I'll say why I left. Um, outside of the health reasons, my priorities no longer aligned with advertising and marketing. And I realized that quickly and soon after I began really focusing in on DE&I efforts. And really after the double murder of two black males um, back to back. But um, really what drew me to Fjord um, and Accenture Interactive was people who I didn't have to fight with or battle with to understand the importance of DE&I. And whether or not they knew at the time when I joined three years ago that I was, you know, what I was going to be capable of or what I was going to ask for, they're like, go for it. Go for it. If you can find it, go for it. Without having to really make people comfortable about it, right? Um, And without having to ask for permission. (laughs) So um, they kind of paved the way. And then I feel like they were just my... um, my, my biggest advocates mm-hmm. when I came on. So that doesn't mean I haven't been met with adversaries. Work wouldn't exist without those. But right. I came and I've thrived where I am with challenges, but because I had the advocates and people who believed that it should be done. And did you step into the DE&I role at immediately or was that you stepped into a more of a project management role and then evolved into the DE&I role? I asked for DE&I um, mm. part of my job mm-hmm. um, and what I was told how do you ha- quantify this role and not make right. it side of desk um, and a plus one which to me is inherently optional but that's a mindset shift right so I asked to do this work And then I asked to have various conversations brought up. And again, I was supported. So it's like, yes, please do that. Do that. Mm. And it allowed me to really not just do surface level things, but really dive into ways that we can make impactful change, which is what I've been doing over the last one to two years. Um, Because whenever somebody comes in DEI, it's very performative, right? Somebody's Mm -hmm. like, put... Let's make sure we have a DE&I 
team, which is usually one person trying to solicit the time of others where other people don't have time. Let's make sure we have a DEI team. Let's what what are we doing for Pride? What are we doing for Black History Month? What are we doing for various holidays that are likely just Christian holidays? So it's very surface level and there's no why. Like why mm-hmm. am I doing this? Um, and I think that gets to the root of why people um, feel is that, well, why do we do it for that person and not them? And it's like, well, we don't have that why, right? You don't have that education. And I think education and data per se go a long way. So coming into this role, I've been able to talk, use data to actually um, both qual- um, quantitative and qualitative data to actually push the conversation. Yeah, I'd love to dive deeper into that. I mean, you're, you have so much project management experience. So do you believe in looking at this role from that lens of project management and efficiency and objectives and metrics? And I, and I want to preface that by saying that the reason I ask is I think sometimes focusing too much on creating a business case or a business case out of diversity and inclusion can be a dangerous territory. And I'd kind of love to hear your thoughts around that. Yes, yes, everything you just said. A very dangerous territory. <laughs> we forget about the humans at the center. A hundred percent. And it's like, well, uh, why is this beneficial to me? Which is one of the whys is that we focus on the individual versus the collective. And we encourage so much accomplishment, achievement, output. Go, go, go as fast as you can. And we don't take the time to pause and talk about the importance of culture and inclusivity and belonging and um really your biggest asset, which are your employees, right? And the way they feel coming to work, the way they feel being able to show up. We talk about what, how does this make me richer? (laughs) It's it's the wrong place to start. It's the wrong place to start. And really it's ingrained in us to think that way, not just from capitalism, but historically we're ingrained to think of how do I get richer? Mm-hmm. Organizations started well before we were we had them in buildings, and well before we were in in um, these virtual settings, and well before even institutions were created. Everything was a business. The church was a business. Slavery, obviously, a huge business in which mm-hmm. we built wealth off the backs of people for free, and that's across around the world. America is not alone in slavery and having hierarchies of people who work for others. That is what we do. Um, So we've always been focused on how do I get more, more, more for less, less, less. And I think what this causes us to do, all of this conversation and process changing and um, dialogue, also looking at not just business metrics measured by dollars and output, but what are the experience metrics? What does retention look like for people when you improve this for them and you give them a clear path for growth? What do ideas look like if you surround yourself essentially with people that look like you? You don't know about others to take care of them and you're essentially surrounding yourself with your own opinions. And you end up just taking care of that one group without realizing that you're part of a bigger thing. Um, so to answer your question, it's a long way of answering. Well, two parts. Program management has helped me find my voice and understand 
how to sequentially do things mm-hmm. <laughs> and then to go to the right people for that and have those meetings and to drive those conversations with a clear input and agenda. But as far as metrics are concerned, program management and getting to the business case that I, I whenever people tell me about what the business or ask me what the business case is, I say the business case is your people. If your people are unhappy, they're not, they're not going to contribute. And if you want to be a part of this very relevant conversation that's happening around the world in some way, shape or form, you can call race an American problem. But when you get down to brass tacks of intersectionality around the world, it's the same, it's the same trend. So when it comes to that, what are you doing? What are you doing to contribute to that global conversation of improving people's lives? And I think it's especially important in our industry and in your company specifically, because ultimately people go to Fjord and Accenture Interactive to help us innovate and create better futures for everyone. So like you, I I strongly believe in these things, and that's why we are here as an organization. But I think tapping deeper into people as you recruit for innovation, what do you think people consider as the skill set necessary for innovation? And and how does DE&I play into that? Oh, that's really interesting. I think much like people have that different definition of innovation, not having a shared lexicon makes it kind of hard to recruit for it, right? So mm-hmm. then it goes back to culture, right? So what can somebody bring to the table and who's the right culture fit? Mm. According to who? Right. Define culture, define innovation. Right. So how do we say they're an addition? Versus the fit, because if you put them in fit, then you're really back to being surrounded by your own opinions. You really just want somebody or you who's like you. Yeah. Your natural tendencies are to go towards something that's familiar to you. But that's not how we innovate. Um, So I think when it comes to recruiting, it's understanding that. How do we get creative about finding these cultural additions? And really, how do we get how do we increase accessibility to find people who don't have the same background. If you ever look at a job description, it's 70 things that you have need to have accomplished by the time that you're 23. Right. It's like the internship needs 15 years of digital experience. And you're like, how am I supposed to get the internship when I, that's the experience I'm looking for? <laughs> right. And then these in order... <laughs> And then we don't even think of the amount of time, money, and resources it costs to get that level of experience. Mm -hmm. Historically, we can't, we haven't provided access to people to have that same access to education and to even have higher education, which I think is interesting. Yeah. I mean, honestly, people, I talk about this on the podcast all the time, but I got a master's degree because none of the top innovation consultancies, including the one at which you work, like they wouldn't even give me the time of day. And so for me, I was lucky enough to have access to get a master's degree. But that already means that the experience excludes people who do not have that access, which, by the way, is most people. Yeah, 100%. Um, So when it comes to looking at those things, it's um, looking at the job description. Who is it describing? Yeah. (laughs) What is it describing? Um, It's looking at um, 
who's a culture addition versus that culture fit. And then I think also when you look at who's making the decisions between a group of usually white women mm-hmm. who have an HR who have historically not been set up to succeed when it comes to inclusion, <laughs> you know, therefore it's very skewed in terms of a perspective and worldview based on their worldview. You add that to a leadership team, as the data shows, is consistent of a homogenous group of people. Yeah, and at that point, it's not even women either. I know you mentioned the HR people being women, but the leadership is is definitely not women, or maybe there was one yeah. of many. Right, right. So you have folks who are very well-intentioned, but unintentionally being complicit and reinforcing some of the status quo. Mm-hmm. So um, I think you have to be really mindful of those things. And I think you have you can have those same conversations when it comes to performance and performance achievement. What are we asking? Who are we asking people to be? Are we asking them to assimilate? Because that's not a culture addition. Are we asking them to be like this one view that we have of a leader? I mean, I, you're a leader. I'm a leader. We look right different and we look very different from who's at the top totally we're both in positions to say that out loud i think other people need to also start to desensitize themselves to that conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. and do you think that technology could be the thing to innovate this whole process or what do you think could be the catalyst of change of this entire process of who gets to be an innovator or not? Mm, I love that question. I think we have to come up with something comparable to technology. Culture comes from everywhere, but it's not valued as much, even though technology is the platform on which culture spreads we haven't found a way to contribute or give back to the people who provided culture to us from all over the world, which I think is really interesting. So if technology, if we don't have a comparable version for technology, we need to use technology to increase the reward for the people who've helped to contribute to that. Yeah, you know, I was having a conversation with Tony Van Winkle. She is on the leadership team at Adobe. Incredible, incredible woman. And she told me a story about how when she worked in IT in early 2000s, she has a lower voice, a lower pitched voice. And because they were using phones and not Zoom, nobody ever knew that she was a woman, let alone a black woman. And so by the time she walked into the leadership roles internationally traveling, people were just surprised, but it was almost like, it's too late. She's already made it. And I guess the reason I asked the technology question is like, of course, that entire endeavor basically hid all of the potential opportunities for bias. But I guess that it it makes me think about like, what can we really do where it's not that race and gender doesn't factor into it because pretending like we don't see those things, I don't think is the solution or is it celebrating our differences? But I guess I wonder like, what are the systems in place we can put in that really innovate on the boundaries that have been created and disable innovation? Gosh, I was just having a conversation around talent discussions. What is the story that we tell about people? I think that's one way. We look about we look at their output, we look at their sales revenue, we look at their chargeability. We really need to look beyond that. What are their contributions? Mm. 
And how has that resulted in something that is a different type of reward? I think looking at blind assessment, obviously within hiring, we talk about a diverse slate, but they have limitations in there too. Um, But looking at a blind assessment of people when you're hiring and also when you're doing those talent cycles would be great. I think of, just to take a step back, I think of innovation, like when we look at the definition of it or my definition of it, it's got nothing to do with a product. Like it's got nothing to do with a service. Really, innovation can be around the type of conversation you have. Asking a question and getting really curious because that's where all the other stuff comes from. But if we look at the root of innovation, it's about like, what's the why? Back to the why. So for me, all of these ideas stem from, well, why do we do it like that in the first place if it's hindering? Who is it serving to know that extra bit of information? I don't need to know chargeability to know someone who I want on my team. I don't need to know their sales target. That doesn't tell me anything about them. I want to know what's going on inside. I want to know what they've accomplished. You were in the, did you say you served in the military? I did. Yes. I was chief of staff in the intelligence. Yeah. And we didn't hire you. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> to me, it's like, I want someone who started a community center, who started the Black Lives Matter movement. I want those people. I don't right. care what their blueprinting style is or what. Sure. Well, it's interesting you bring this up because honestly, one time you said to me in a conversation we were having offline is that you felt that innovation is also asking why not? And that you said that the antithesis of innovation is the boundaries that we set, right? So if you define my work experience as a chief of staff in the Israeli army as not relevant experience or starting a movement like Black Lives Matter as not relevant innovation experience, I think we are killing off the innovation before we even sat at the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why isn't that? Why isn't that? And a lot of it has to do with comfort and people's ability to grasp that concept. Cause you don't fit that mold of what it means to be the thing that they already have. They've already made a decision in their head of what they want. That's part. Mm -hmm. I think that if we were to ask why not more often or why don't we do it this way instead, we'd be great. Yeah. (laughs) We're already great, but we'd be even better. Um, And I think that, you know, when it comes to things like looking at what I say blissfully complicit quite often with, oh, that's the way it's always been done or everybody does it that way. That just makes the problem bigger. Doesn't solve it. I think when it comes to um, data, why don't we, why, why can't we know? Why can't I know the intersection of somebody's experience when it comes to understanding whether or not we've really improved or not? Mm-hmm, and the data mm-hmm. is okay. Why can't I know? Why can't I say these things? Who is uncomfortable? Who am I diluting it for? What is our concern if we speak truth to power? When we think of innovation, we need to think of one, intention, but also intersectionality. And if we zoom closer into that, a fair assumption to make is that probably the people working on the product are not people of color or women. 
So before I let you go, I'd love to look a little bit into the future and hopefully we see some positive things going on there. And the question I have for you is where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? See, I think in all of those, until I am I drop dead and stop living, I will always be I will always be learning and learning about how to change the conversation, but also learning how to practice self-preservation and just care. And that's something that term self-care has been appropriated in various ways where it's, I'm not talking about a face mask. (laughs) I'm talking about being able to bounce back from the setbacks that are constant. There are huge victories in my world and in my point of view, but there are also huge setbacks, which is, again, the history of people of color and women of color, as you know. But you need that resilience factor. So I see myself continuing to work on that, regardless of where I am in the world. I see the industry, um, I see it changing. I see it being more um, very, very intentional way more intentional with their words and actions. Um, I'm actually, and this isn't just a way to um, talk about Accenture, but I, I actually see a lot of it. I get, because of my role nationally and globally, I get to see and hear a lot of people putting money where their mouth is and also walking the talk, truly walking mm-hmm. the talk. So that's impressive to me. And I think we do that then we'll start to see the, at the, even at the individual organization level, we'll start to see the structural changes that make up, you know, a lot of our behaviors, complicit or otherwise. I think that without this, I think in five years, I think we're going to be, you know, I don't know, just thinking about the momentum again. I'm surprised, you know, since George Floyd was murdered last year that we're still talking about it, quite honestly. And the, and the Lord and the universe work in really mysterious ways um, as far as why was it that this moment brought everyone together like this? Mm. Why was it? And, you know, as a result, all of these other moments that we're paying attention to and not just being like, oh, I can just live my life. So I see organizations adapting to people's desire to know and contribute um, to what's going on and to find trusted sources um, within organizations where they work to make sure that their values where possible. And if they have the privilege to do so, I see their values aligning with organizations more and more. And I see Accenture as being especially Accenture interactive because we work in experience and all of this is about experience, but Interactive and all of interaction really, all of Accenture really tapping into what people care about and being able to do that in a bolder way, fingers crossed. Um, But it requires doing the work. Yeah, in 10 years time, it's either rework of all this work we just did because we didn't want to do anything. So we're spending that much more or we really push the needle. And I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever it will be, it's not going to be enough. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could have been more. We set really, really low. Uh, I think across around the world, we set really low standards for what we can accomplish. So I think we can we can do more. Yeah, let's find out and see. Thank you so, so much, Talia. Have a good one. Thank you, Talia. Bye. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.